0: on this first Sunday of Advent, as we focus on the theme of hope, I wanted to ask you a question that I will give you some time to talk still amongst yourselves, and then and I'm going to give you the topic, which is what's something simple in your routine that COVID, COVID quarantine disrupted that you are glad to be able to resume? So take some time amongst yourself, share with the partner if they seem willing, if they're not giving you too strange of vibes and you're not giving them strange vibes either. Uh, and then we'll circle back. All right, would anybody care to share? What was something simple that COVID quarantine disrupted that you are glad to be able to resume in your life? Not wearing a mask. What's that? Not wearing a mask. Not wearing a mask. Being with people, yes? Sitting down at a restaurant or a bar. Sitting down at a restaurant or bar, yes. Live theater, yeah. Any others? Something regularly, all I heard was regularly. Sleeping regularly, yeah, yeah. Over here? Going somewhere, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> not just in the same spot over and over and over again. Yes. Uh, hugging, my grandparents. hugging my grandparents. Yes. I was sharing with some people before worship that uh, this past Thanksgiving, I was able to connect with some family members that I had not seen since before COVID. And so definitely with you there. Any other things that you're glad? Yes. Singing out at Vox, yes, most definitely. Uh, For all of us in different ways, we know that the pandemic disrupted our lives. As I was thinking about my own life a year ago, the weekend of Thanksgiving, uh, right about now, Sunday morning, I imagine I was in full-on, like, panic sweat, throwing as many things as possible into boxes. I'd gone way beyond this moment of, oh, I'm going to decide what things I'm keeping and what things I'm going to give away to bless to other people. And it was just like, I've got to get everything boxed. The movers are coming soon, and my most of my apartment was still not packed. I was uh, preparing to leave San Antonio and to move to Austin. And as I recall, I believe the movers were coming on Monday, and so on Sunday <laughs> I was definitely feeling disrupted uh, and trying to do everything I could uh, to be able to make that deadline because without the movers, I would have been sunk. We take so many things for granted. Death, taxes, hot Texas summers, but there are other assumed certainties like holiday family stress, desperately desiring things today that tomorrow we might have forgotten about, doubling down on violence or at least the power to threaten it as the only sane path to safety. There will always be losers and we work like hell and pray to the heavens that we will not be among them. And Isaiah invites us to disrupt. The status quo might seemingly serve some of us, though if we're honest, what it typically serves is scarcity, loneliness, distraction, disconnection, environmental destruction. The status quo may seem to serve some of us, but anything and everything about it dehumanizes all of us. If my success is built on the back of your exploitation, then none of us really win. Systems of oppression dehumanize both the oppressed and the oppressor. It's interesting that Deuteronomy 15, 11, no sooner acknowledges the seeming unendingness of poverty among us, the poor will always be among you. And it instantly pivots and talks about a way that we can undo its wrath. And so I therefore command you, open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. We move from a deadening certainty to a disruptive creativity. It is a daring move akin to when your foot has fallen asleep. You know that, right? And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I've been in this position for a little too long or whatever it is, and blood has been cut off, and I'm feeling the pins and the needles. And if you are sitting down in any kind of way or whatever position you might be in, you know, if I'm going to get up, then it's going to probably initially be incredibly awkward and probably somewhat painful as I reshift weight onto this limb that has lost much of its feeling and function. And so it is for us in Advent as we try to pivot from knowing the way things are, the way things seemingly will always be, into a space where we create hope in our lives, a space where we can dare to imagine and believe and dream that another way in another world is possible and indeed is being birthed into our midst in the most unlikely places. This is a daring and disruptive hope. I'm reminded of a poem by David White. It goes like this. Sometimes if you move carefully through the forest, Breathing like the ones in the old stories who could cross a shimmering bed of leaves without a sound. You come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests, conceived out of nowhere, but in this place beginning to lead everywhere. Requests to stop what you are doing right now and to stop what you are becoming while you do it. Questions that can make or unmake a life. Questions that have patiently waited for you. Questions that have no right to go away. There are chaotic disruptions in our life. You might think in your own life of perhaps something like a relative or yourself getting a terrible diagnosis. Perhaps a relationship that you were in, being a marriage or otherwise, seemingly on the brinks or coming to an end. There are disruptions that find all of us. And there are some disruptions that seem to happen with such frequency that their primary mode is to only increase our cynicism, our apathy, because it seems to keep happening and no one seems to care. And there's perhaps not any greater example of that in these United States than gun violence, where over the last couple of weeks, Uh, we experienced first in Colorado Springs and then in Virginia, the violence, the death of another mass shooting and these chaotic, chaotic disruptions lead only to death. And as we look no further than club Q in Colorado Springs, they may disrupt the collective joy of marginalized communities, but they do not create life, love or liberation when we become so committed to the passing away of this decaying world, when we become so entrenched in our talking points, when we become so invested in our small group identity that those outside it are a threat, when routine becomes a trance, we are likely to lash out at all those who seek to liberate us. This type of disruption is actually just the final outcome of deadening certainty its rigidity hardens those in its grip and threatens to harm those under its heel. We not forget Derek Rump, Ashley Paw, Kelly Loving, Daniel Aston, and Raymond Green Vanson, all those who gathered there to celebrate Transgender Remembrance Day and found a place, a community that had been for joy and for safety and for wholeness, disrupted in ways that create chaos and violence. Isaiah presents us with a similar choice as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he said, will we choose chaos or community? Indeed, in Isaiah chapter two, verse one, the word that Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It is not just a word that we hear, somehow Isaiah, perhaps this is where the Gospel of John even borrowed some of its envisioning when the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Isaiah sees the words of God as not just something to hear, not just as noise, but something that creates and shapes a new reality among us. And we have to be so careful with our words. And we have to hold others accountable for their words too because words do create death and life in our world. James, perhaps the brother of Jesus in his epistle says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and a curse. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. There is a great power in our words. That power can subvert intentions and deal devastating impact and those who might offer their thoughts and prayers out of one side of their mouth while the other side of the mouth dehumanizing the LGBTQ community with things like groomers and other labels that talk of us as a threat to the larger world, rings incredibly hollow because their words too are funneling frustration and fear to devastating and violent impact. And we owe it to each other and to one another to hold each other accountable for the words that we say, for the words that are said among us because they are creating or either are creating new realities or they are crushing other people under the reality of the status quo. Isaiah goes on to talk in verse 2 In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills and all the nations shall stream to it. In Hebrew scriptures, the hills are often a place of idolatry, of false worship. Uh, When you hear about looking to the hills, it's just as likely that the biblical authors have in mind Uh, some sense of this is where people go for easy answers, for quick fixes, for things that might seem pragmatic because the old answer of hoping in a God whose words might shape the world and who we might partner with to envision a better way has taken too long. We are tired Of waiting. And so we run to the hills. And so it is interesting that Isaiah envisions this mountain where the house of God's radical love stretches far above the hills. So when we are stuck in our trance at those easy answers, those easy groups to scapegoat, that we can see something higher and more inclusive that all the nations are streaming to. And we are invited to think of something higher and grander and more inclusive than anything our small self might be capable of. It goes on, verse three, many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We do not merely parrot piety or blindly copy and paste proof text for our public policy. Rather, we internalize the very ways of God As many have said, it's less about getting into heaven and more about getting this vision of the dream, the reality of God, heaven inside of us. We're instructed not so we can win arguments or pass theology tests, but so we walk in God's paths so that we can embody God's reign, carry out justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. If the marginalized merely receive those thoughts and prayers without changes in our behavior and policy, if the community draws the circle tighter rather than inviting others in to revolve around God's radical love, then we have likely become distracted by those nearby hills rather than focused on God's alternative solution. Noel Leo Erskine says, there in the mountain of God, they will encounter and meet God who speaks not only in words, but in acts. They will hear not only with their ears, but with their hearts. And this God whose actions they see and whose will they hear in their hearts will be an all-welcoming God. Isaiah continues, verse 4, He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The current instruments of violence and destruction and division are not taken up and turned against their enemies. They are refashioned. You can hear the sound of the blacksmiths hammering them, molding them, saying we can no longer have these instruments of death and violence among us. We must find a new use for them, and they can't have any use as they are, so we must repurpose, reshape them into life-giving alternatives in our world. In the television show Andor, uh, we over and over again hear these bells that are ringing in the town of Ferex, but the bell that's on this tower looks much more like a large anvil, and you see people hammering onto it, making the sound over and over again, calling people at different times to different significant events in the world. But one of the beauties of Andor, if you haven't seen it and you care at all for Star Wars, I highly recommend it, uh, is that I think it portrays better than anything previously in the Star Wars world, not only just how insidious Empire is, but also how people who seemingly have no power can begin to find hope and band together to oppose and stand against it. Our passage ends, verse five. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. We are invited to walk in a way that God is illuminating for us collectively. We are invited to Envision that hope isn't just something impractical, some kind of naivete that is out there, some optimism without any grounding, but instead is going to lead to concrete actions that reshape our world. I'm reminded of John Claypool, who talked about when his daughter was diagnosed with cancer and the challenge that was for him as a parent trying to care for and be present to her and he was reminded over and over again of a familiar verse later in Isaiah 40:31 those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not be faint But this verse frustrated Reverend Claypool because he didn't feel like he was soaring in any ecstatic way. He didn't feel like he could run ultra marathons with the power that God was giving him. He felt like he could barely get out of bed to support his daughter and his family. He writes Fortunately, there is one other form that the promise of God's strength takes they shall walk and not faint. Now, I'm sure that to those looking for the spectacular, this may sound insignificant indeed. Who wants to be slowed to a walk, to creep along inch by inch, just barely above the threshold of consciousness and not fainting? That may not sound like much of a religious experience, but believe me, in the kind of darkness where I have been, it is the only form of the promise that fits the situation. When there is no occasion to soar and no place to run and all you can do is edge along step by step to hear of a help that will enable you to walk and not faint is good news indeed. So we are called to hope and hope sees the world. We do not ignore the current crisis, perplexing problems and jarring injustices. Hope rather envelops our world and takes root in all as it is really and truly. We do not primarily draw our energy from dehumanizing retribution, nor from a false sense of superiority towards others through exclusion. We are focused and formed by both grief and gratitude. How might you slow down and make room to lament and grieve the losses in your life? Part of why we often, I think, speed up during the holidays is because if we are going so fast, it's much harder for all that unsettles us to catch up to us. How can you practice seeing through the eyes of gratitude the gifts you have for love, healing, and liberation? Within you, within your networks of belonging and community, there is still much to be grateful for. There is much that mutually we can do and offer to and through one another. And hope sees the world through God's word. We do not use the tools of violence and dehumanization or oppression. We dismantle and reform them into new tools that can offer systemic life. We do not exclude the other or the outsider, but invite them to a house of radical love. We are willing to learn new ways and walk in unfamiliar paths, to build a bridge to a more just future. Over the holidays, this past Thanksgiving, I was with my Aunt Evelyn, and she was talking about just feeling exhausted and tired, both from things in life and just from the holiday weekend. And she said, I'm going to lay down for a while. And I mean, I said, I'm going to lay down my burden. And without skipping a beat, you know, she said, down by the riverside, down by the riverside, down by the riverside. This spiritual has existed, inviting people to a river. Yes, envisioning an immortal, eternal passing and crossing where injustice, evil, and violence can find us no more. But also likely pointing towards the Ohio River where if you can escape and get to it and cross over into it, then there is liberation and freedom in the here and now, where we're invited to learn war no more, to lay down our instruments of violence and destruction and find freedom. Pray with me. Help us to lay down violence, vengeance, and scapegoating. May we see beyond the hills of easy answers to the majestic mountain of God's radical love, living lives of wondrous welcome, shifting strangers and outsiders to neighbors and siblings. As we wait and partner for the fulfillment of God's word, may we remember to rest, heal, and to hope. So may hope envelop our world as we grieve deep losses from the immediate present as well as those losses buried deep in our past. We pray this in the name of the one whose word works justice, the peacemaking sibling down by the riverside and spirit who animates us to walk and not faint.